Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. We've been on a journey together for the last few weeks, a journey in which I've shared with you some guiding principles. We started with the idea of questioning the status quo as an important spiritual guiding principle where we do not settle for things when they are wrong, that we stand for what is right, and that we have boldness and courage to, to work for what is right. We talked about the importance of confidence with humility, confidence with the teachable energy, that we trust that we are capable of so much more than we've ever attempted to do, and we can trust in that because we know that there is a presence and the power of God within each and every one of us. And then last week we looked at the importance of remaining a student always, and that's a certain attitude, a certain mindset with which we choose to approach one another and in which we choose to approach life, that we recognize that there is always the opportunity for us to learn and grow. And we may not always like the lesson and we may not always like the, the teacher that it's coming through, but that doesn't change the fact, the truth, that there's always yet more for us to learn and to become. And today I want to wrap up this series with the idea of beyond myself, beyond myself. Say that with me. Beyond myself, beyond myself. Our mission in this, this center is transforming lives and healing our world. And we look at both of those as equally important and as actually being a continuum. That we, most of us come into this teaching because there's something that doesn't feel quite right in our lives or in our relationships, and we're looking for answers. We're looking for a way to, to grow. We're looking for a way to create a happier, better life for ourselves. But our teaching cannot and must not end there. For our teaching isn't just about getting our lives together and getting our lives to work better. It is also to grow into a greater appreciation of the truth that we are in this together and that together we can help truly to heal the world. And that's what Beyond Myself is all about. Beyond myself, beyond just me, there is this whole world of humanity of which I am a part and which I need to keep my mind and my heart open to. To, to live one's life from the place of beyond oneself is to be a beneficial presence in the world. To be a beneficial presence in the world. Say that with me. To be a beneficial presence in the world. As simple as that. As simple as that, to be a beneficial presence in the world. To me, that involves at least these three things. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we'll explore them together a little bit more deeply. To be a beneficial presence in the world, to live beyond oneself, means I live ethically. It means I expand my circle of compassion and service beyond just me and my family. And it means that I take the long view, the long look. So let's go into these a little more deeply first. So the starting point for beyond myself is a commitment to live one's life ethically. Ethically. 
I don't think we emphasize that enough in our world today. The importance of living life ethically. What does that mean, to live life ethically? We can look at some of the ancient religions and see in the, in the heart of Buddhism the idea of impeccable living. To live ethically is to be impeccable in thought, to be impeccable in word, to be impeccable in action. To be impeccable in thought, in word, in action. To live ethically. What does it mean to be impeccable in thought? I think in part it means that it is safe for people to walk through the corridor of your mind without you judging them. Right? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be horrifying if every thought we think were broadcast for all the world to hear? Oh my! Oh, I'm awfully glad we don't have that kind of technology yet. However, however, in some sort of way, we do in that the thoughts that we hold predominantly in our mind individually and as a race cannot help but get expressed in form in the world. And so it's not broadcast for all the world to hear so much as it is broadcast for all of us to see and to actually live in. So working at the level of our thought is a piece of living more ethically. Jesus talked about the importance of consciousness and talked about the importance of thought. He said, it's not enough just not to commit adultery. He was using this as an example. He says, if you look with lust as a, if you look with lust at a woman, you have already committed adultery. I don't think he was speaking only of the idea of adultery. I think what he was speaking to is far deeper and more important and pervasive in that we must continue to work at the level of consciousness, not just behavior, but consciousness. To live ethically is to be impeccable in our word, to be honest. To be honest, to be impeccable with our word. In the 3,000-year-old Hindu Vedas, sacred speech was seen as a primal force. Sacred speech. I love one of the practices that comes out of the Quaker teaching. And that when Quakers gather in a meeting, they don't call them Sunday services, they're meetings. And when they gather in a meeting, anybody can speak as long as... When you speak, you are improving upon the silence. Take that in for a moment. It might become a more quiet world, right? If we only spoke when we could improve upon the silence. And to me, any honest speech, any sacred speaking improves upon the silence. And then it's to be impeccable in our actions impeccable in our actions. The 2,400-year-old physician's oath begins with the idea, first do no harm. First do no harm. What a different world we would be creating, right? In our homes, in our, in our communities, in our schools, in our businesses, if we held ourselves to this high ethical standard. First do no harm. And then at the heart of the world's religions is the idea that it's not really enough just not to do any harm. 
That we need to do what? Good. That we need to do good. So getting beyond ourselves has got to be grounded in a commitment to living ethically. And I would dare say that every one of us in this room, myself included, can look at how can we improve in that even just a little bit in our lives. Even just a little bit. Because every tiny improvement builds upon itself and has a cumulative effect. The second, if you remember, was the idea of expanding your circle of compassion and service. Expanding your circle of compassion and service. Say that with me. Expanding your circle of compassion and service. It means that we don't stop with just caring about and serving our families and our friends. We're expected to do that. And it also means that we don't just serve and hold and act compassionately toward those who look just like us. I want to go back to that quote that I had found and shared with you earlier because I really thought it was a very beautiful, nuanced way of looking at this idea of, of expanding our circle of compassion and concern. The most important service to others is service to those who are not like yourself. Service to those who are not like yourself. To expand our circle of compassion and caring, our compassion and service, is to say and to recognize that we are not a human race. I wish we could eliminate that phrase from our vocabulary forever. What is a race about? Winning. And winning almost at all costs and getting there when? First. Is that the way we want to look at one another? Do I want to look at you as a competitor or as an obstacle in my, in my way? I don't want to look at you that way and I don't want you to look at me that way. I want us to look at each other as one human family. As one human family. Now I know that families come in all shapes and all sizes and there's dysfunctionality in all families. But usually in family, usually in family, is the intention to care, the intention to nurture, the intention to support. We are not our brother's keeper. That's a question in, in the Bible. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is no, you're not your brother's keeper. You are your brother. You are your brother. You are your brother. Let me read these words from Albert Einstein. A human being is a part of a whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. Albert Einstein a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. He's describing pretty accurately 
the, the mindset that most people operate from, this delusion of separateness, which then causes us to look out upon the, the world with limited affection for only a few. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Breathe into that for a moment. Something to aspire to. Something to hold as our vision. Something to work toward day by day in whatever way we can. This kind of compassion is engaged compassion. It moves us out, it moves out of simply being a feeling into some form of action. Engaged compassion. So it's not just, I feel for you, I empathize, I care, I see your hurt, and then I walk away. It's, I see that. I can feel that. Let me see what I can do in some way to make a difference. In some way. It is so easy for us to get discouraged because we don't feel like we can do enough. So we don't do anything or we do very little. And yet I believe what we are being asked to do as spiritually minded conscious beings is to always be willing to keep our eyes open to where we can make a difference and be willing to take one step, take one action in that direction. Albert Schweitzer said, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have found are those who have sought and found how to serve. We have a, an expression in metaphysics, and the expression is no private good. Say that with me. No private good. Hmm, what does that mean? No private good means, no private good means that what I intend for others comes right back to me. Comes right back to me. The Buddha said, whatever you do for others, you are doing for yourself as well. No private good. When I extend myself in, in action or kindness or compassion to another, I'm not in any way depleting myself. I am experiencing the very thing that I am attempting to share. I can't hold a prayer of loving kindness for you without being benefited myself in the process, even though that's not the motivation. The Dalai Lama referred to that as enlightened selfishness. It is. It really is. When we keep our hearts open to one another, when we are willing to be the eyes and the ears and the hands of God, of spirit, to say yes to however we can make a difference right where we are, when we are willing to do that, we are engaging actually in enlightened selfishness. 
Here's what I know about active compassion. Number one, when done from a pure heart, you will always receive more than you give. Always receive more than you give. Number two, what I know is it isn't about having enough time as much as it is about having a big heart. Breathe into that one because there's a lot of truth to that. It is not as much about having enough time. It's about having a big heart. Number three, the world needs you and the difference that you have to make. I'm so glad that we're not the same. I'm so glad that you are way better at a lot of things than I will ever be. And the reverse is also true. I'm so glad that what breaks my heart open and makes me feel sad when I look at the world may not be the same thing that breaks your heart open and makes you feel sad when you look out on the world. Because each of us is looking out and seeing a different part of the world, seeing a different part of our human family. And each of us, out of our own life's experience, our own soul's incarnation, our own strengths and talents and quirkiness and, and rough spots, is uniquely designed to work in an area, to make a difference in a particular kind of way. What I also know about active compassion is we have to model it to our children. We really have to model it to our children. If you're a parent with children at home, I encourage you to not just look at how many soccer games and all the things that kids are into today that you feel you have to go do, to not fill your calendar so much with all of that that you don't leave any room in it to model for your children being active in the world, making a difference for someone outside of your family. We, we can't expect them to do it if they don't see us doing it. If they don't see us saying, I'm going to turn off the television, I'm going to say no to that activity. Yeah, that activity may be important, but I want you to know that making a difference in the world is important. And I want you to see that mom, that dad is doing that as well. And what I know about active compassion is until you consistently practice render, rendering genuine spiritual service, you'll never feel fulfilled. You'll never feel fulfilled. And then the third, I said it's about living ethically. I said it's about expanding your circle of compassion and service. And third, it's about taking the long view. Say this with me, taking the long view. Together, taking the long view. I remember, I believe it was at an Association for Global New Thought conference years and years ago, and I believe it was an indigenous member who was giving a speech where I first heard these words. The person was quoting the great law of the Iroquois nation, and the person said these words. In every deliberation, we must consider the impact on the seventh generation, even if it requires having skin as thick as the bark of a pine tree. In every deliberation, we must consider the impact on the seventh generation. Think about that for a moment. What that means is that we are thinking about how our actions impact lives that we will never directly connect with. It means that we are putting aside what might be 
a quick win, whether we're talking financially, environmentally, or any other way, we are willing to put aside a quick win to say, wait a minute, what's the long view impact of this decision? What's the long view impact of this legislation? What's the long view impact of these decisions that we are allowing businesses to make or corporations to make or so forth? That we are willing to step back and not be so, so um, looking so much for quick gratification or personal gain, but are first saying, I want to be mindful of how whatever I am doing or whatever I am supporting, what kind of difference that's going to make to the seventh generation. If we were required to take that into consideration with every single fundamental decision we personally made or made as a nation, do you think the world would be any different in seven generations? How different do you think it would be? Very different. So are we gonna wait for the next generation to take this up as, as an instruction? I'm hoping you're gonna say no. <laughs> no, no, and it begins with us. It begins with us. It begins with us saying, well, what does, how is my lifestyle? How are my choices? How is my voting? Whatever way you vote. Are you looking at it through the lens of the seventh generation? So the long view is critical, is absolutely critical to living beyond ourselves. I have a story I wanna close with and then just one short quote. And it has, the story has to do with the idea that we can't, that recognizing that we can't do everything, but we can and we must do something. We can't do everything, but we can and we must do something, even if that something is very, very small. Here's a little story. It's called the snowflake. Tell me about the weight of a snowflake, a sparrow asked the dove. Nothing more than nothing was the answer. In that case, I must tell you a marvelous story, the sparrow said. I sat on the branch of a fir close to its trunk when it began to snow. Not heavily, not in a raging blizzard, no, just like in a dream, without a sound and without any violence. Since I didn't have anything better to do, I counted the snowflakes settling on the twigs and needles of my branch. Their number was exactly 3,741,952 snowflakes. When the 3,741,953rd snowflake dropped onto the branch, nothing more than nothing, as you say, the branch broke off. Having said that, the sparrow flew away. The dove, since Noah's time and authority on the matter of peace, thought about the story for a while and finally said to herself, perhaps only one person's voice is lacking for peace to come to the world. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's so easy to think, well, my voice doesn't matter enough or my little actions right where I am doing what I can do doesn't matter enough. But it does matter. It does matter. In our teaching, we understand the power of race consciousness, right? And race consciousness changes not by a dictate from above, 
but by those daily little choices and positive changes to live more ethically, to live more compassionately, to think from the longer point of view, every one of those choices that we make in that regard helps to lift race consciousness and that is what will change our world. Namaste. Many people enjoy Reverend Wendy's talks and meditations and aren't able to attend the Unity Center in person. If you're part of our extended family from around the world and would like to help support the Unity Center, please go to our website or download our free app, which offers even more ways to connect with the Unity Center. Namaste. Namaste.